we leave the rig here and load the motorcycles up with as much as we can, we can maybe ride for 160 days. One of those bikes is yours. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. We're never going to have a better chance to talk about Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 85, which begins with Furiosa pulling Max aside. And it ends with Max considering Furiosa's offer. Put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain. Our guests this week can't climb. It's Sean German and Jave Palace from Groundhog Minute. Hey. Hi, Julia. Hi, Rick. Thanks for thanks for having us back on the show. Oh, our pleasure. We traveled a long way from Punks of 20 for this. <laughs> a long way. It's good to have you back. We delayed your arrival a little bit from last season. We didn't want to get you caught in some sort of weird time loop where you just come back at the same time every season. <laughs> I was looking for the kids. I was like, Where's those, where are those kids at? Where they're going. All right. Speaking of those kids, you may be delighted slash horrified when we talked about in our first couple of episodes how they were living alongside, maybe in servitude to the crazy cannibal Russians. Mm. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about those, considering we spent so much time with those kids? <laughs> I like the idea that there's sort of a, a symbiosis and maybe the kids living above ground. Like they, so they, they light the fires, they lure people in to the trap and maybe then they split the loot. The cannibals get the the flesh, and the above ground people get their machines. You know, get their vehicles. Because you know, what are you going to do with an interceptor? Or, you know, a rig when you're living when you're you know you when you're a chud when you're you know a cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. You don't really need a, a V8 um, <laughs> as much as as you would need one above ground. So maybe they split the meat and the uh, the vehicles kind of thing. That was my thought. I, I know I said I haven't watched any of the series. So this past week, I watched the entire series, and I clearly am still not ready for <laughs> for when you guys you guys improv like wasteland stuff. I go, oh god, yeah, um, uh, that, and then uh, this. Like I had <laughs> questions, and like they're two. They're at this point, they're two years old. Like you guys probably covered it two years ago. I have questions. I'm like, I just got to just sit on this, I guess, and just wave Rick and Julia to cover it on uh, <laughs> Mad Max Minute Classic. Yeah. Uh, when we eventually get to the point where we're like, oh, we got nothing going on. We might as well redux the series. God. <laughs> oh, that is very tempting. Can you do an audio commentary on a podcast? Play <laughs> <laughs> yourself and just say, like, I like what we said that, but what we should have said was this as well. Yeah. Or what? just have it be like a movie commentary where you've got the one audio track running over here and then the new audio track laid on top of it so it's just completely inaudible yeah if you have any questions about goose's leather pants and mel gibson's uh, vinyl (laughs) pants i got well i'm up to that that's where i'm at right now (laughs) that that part of the conversation so uh yeah oh yeah war rig uh furiosa okay yeah all right getting caught up okay got it speaking of furiosa and the war rig that is where we start today Max, when we left off on Friday, he was sitting by himself, inking up a little map using the blood from his 
thumb and as Furiosa comes over to him wrapped up in a blanket, she whispers, can I talk to you? As if she's got this <laughs> secret that she needs to share with him away from the other girls. In a normal movie, this would be a romantic moment. You know what this reminds me of? Hmm. The SNL sketch where they lampoon The Bachelor, where they have the female cast members <laughs> coming. <and> they, <laughs> can I just, can I borrow you can for I a just steal you for a second? Can no. I just talk to you for a second? And I'm like, this is an SNL Bachelor sketch. <laughs> Right yeah, here. it really is. <laughs> now, when I watched Ranker, when I was getting caught up this week and I watched Fury Road again, uh, I watched it in the theaters when it's the color theatrical. I watched the black and chrome edition. Um, I wanted to know, since I'm not as caught up, what were your thoughts on the amount of blue in this? Because I felt like the chrome, black and chrome editions, night was a little bit more. I mean, obviously, it was a little bit color. They reduced the color in it. I find the blue is too much. What, what, what Prove me wrong or, or, or what? What's What do you got? What do you think about the blueness of the night? Yeah, because I, I had a note on that as well, and I'm wondering because I've I've never been I've never been that far out from civilization to where they are. They're a place where there's no artificial light. Like maybe this is what night looks like. You know, I know that there's certainly they're going to be able to see more stars, they're going to see more satellites and, and things like that than 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 I can see where I am. I'm in the suburbs, but I'm pretty close to. Uh, a medium-sized city, so there's so much light pollution. Maybe when you when you get out there, you know, night is blue like this. So, so maybe the, you know, maybe it's a natural thing or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it was noticeable, and I thought this was, if you know, if it's just a movie movie making technique, so you can make out what's going on. Um, I mean, as we record this, we're a few weeks past the uh, the Battle of Winterfell on Game of Thrones. Just to to contrast it, and that was a particular episode. It was a, yeah. a nighttime battle, and a lot of people complained that they they couldn't see anything. It was hard to make out different characters or what was going on because it was so dark. Whereas this, I could make out everything perfectly. I didn't need to like turn up the contrast on my TV or anything. So yeah, so is this is and this is the. Um, I will let Rick and Julia get a word in edgewise at some point, but I just wanted, you know, for in case the listener doesn't remember, this is actually the second night since they um, since they head out from the Citadel. So I don't know if maybe we're not up to that point in the the show yet. I don't know if Rick and Julia you you addressed this the first night. So is this what you know? Is this a, what po- post apocalyptic night looks like, or is this a uh, just a film t- making technique so that it's more visible for the viewer? The, the blueness. I think it's a little bit of both. The filming technique of day for night, correct me if I'm wrong, they're just filming normal daytime and then they just change the coloring. Exactly. In post. Oh. So I think day for night shooting is accurate enough. And Sean, you're right. It's certainly more comfortable on the eyes than the Battle of Winterfell, for example, which was Mm -hmm. tough. We had to turn off every light in the house. Mm Mm-hmm just to watch the episode. And this is much more clear and easy on the eyes. My con about it, though, is not so much this night, because this night only takes up two and a half minutes, maybe. But the previous night took up, like, two weeks of our time. Yeah. (laughs) And after that much time, it felt like that's all there is. It was very wearing on me. Mm Mm-hmm. And when we finally got through that night and got to daylight again, it was a relief. So, okay. Then, then I, are, you, are you agreeing with my Black and Chrome Edition's version of night, at least, is more easy on the eyes? 
I actually can't agree or disagree. We have not seen the Black and Chrome edition yet. We are saving it for a credit episode. Mm -hmm. I like that idea then. Okay, good. All right, save it. All right, get as much as, yeah, get all your notes in now and then have your notes on that coloring later. Okay. Yeah, personally, I really like how when you're shooting day for night, you have the opportunity to go stylistic with it. And I like how they just blue shifted everything because when you listen to commentary about this whole day for night thing, shooting in the daytime they get to keep all of that detail all of that contrast that you get and they're very smart in that they never show the moon yes is there are some mm-hmm. productions they will shoot day for night and they will make the mistake of showing the sun and then just try and pass it off as the moon and it does not work that way no, it doesn't work that way. but i like how different the nighttime feels and i think that they've really succeeded from a cinematic standpoint by going with blue and I think we've mentioned this in the past that, you know, blue and orange or orange and teal or one of those combinations. It's very eye catching and very good for digital style projectors in this day and age to really make those colors pop. Yeah, I guess I've just seen it a lot now. So I guess I'm just like, I mean, Sonny would do it all the time when they were like they would cut to like Charlie and uh and Frank playing Nightcrawlers, they would just show the apartment, <laughs> and it's it's lit, clearly a lit apartment, but they just put the, a blue filter over it, and you, mm. it's like, but I, I give it, I give it leeway because it's like, all right, you know, it's always sunny, is stylized to be trashy people in a trashy city, so it's okay. But like <laughs> with this, I go, well, George Miller stylized, but at the same time, like this is a big budgeted film, like. I wish it was something more than it to me. It feels, you know what it is. I think if I saw them doing something that you could only do at night, like if someone had like a lantern and they're hiding it very well, so like in case like the war boys are out scouting that no one's going to see them. If like if I got a few shots of that, I think because right now it looks like they're just walking around there and they're like they can easily see each other. If they acted more like that, where they're just like we gotta be quiet so sound doesn't travel, and we gotta 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 hide our light so no one can see what's going on. Right. Can they see each other as clearly as we can see them? You know what they should have done? Well, okay. I say something (laughs) like, oh, yeah, this is what they should have. Something that would have been cool as an idea during one of these night scenes. For instance, the first night where you had the bullet farmer who has come from the bullet farm and he is sweeping Mm -hmm. this spotlight across the wasteland. Mm -hmm. And every time a loud thing happens next to max's ears we get the ringing it would have been interesting if max was trying to shoot the peacemaker and every time the spotlight sweeps across his vision everything goes really dark and he has to like readjust his eyesight Ooh, Ooh, that would have been cool i agree so that would have painted these blue shifted scenes these night scenes as oh yeah it's blue because they've just been in complete darkness and their eyes have adjusted although in real science it's more like everything goes super black and white when your eyes adjust it doesn't max on his gear i gotta look at closely i thought max on his gear had like a military flashlight or like some what looked to be glow sticks i couldn't tell he's got obviously he's got a lot of gear on him I thought, yeah, it'd be cool if he had some kind of like little, like a hand crank lantern or something, <laughs> like uh, like in Metro Exodus where you have that like that one lantern, but you have to like you have to actually pull it go, and you have to, like you're pumping it with like a caulking gun pretty much <laughs> until like the gears get going and then like the and then the lights on. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I wish yeah. if they did something like that where it's like he's he could use you know they're working at night but you have to work a little harder now so you have to either use like a lantern with a with a you know with a little bit of oil or you have to like yeah use a crank powered 
um, flashlight or something. Yeah, in the prequel video game for Mad Max, he had one of those little flashlights and you could hold the button and it would just pop on from his vest. But if he had it in universe of this movie, he definitely got that taken away as soon as he was brought into captivity. (laughs) Yeah, because that game, as fun as it is, is like... They're kind of remaking it. I feel like they were definitely making it with only getting scraps of information from the film. Oh, yeah. And then they were like, oh, what's what's some buzzwords we can throw in from the like link it better to the movie? And then they worked it in that way. Fine, fine game. You know, could have been a lot worse. You know, could have been a lot yes. worse. <laughs> <laughs> For a movie based IP, that's rare that you get a actual playable one. Yeah, it was a lot better than the Iron Man video game, but that's a whole other Man, conversation still, for another I, time. Yeah, and exactly. I still hold a lantern. For Iron Man, because it's like, I still like that game because of, 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 of regulating power sources. There was something there. There was a gameplay there I was actually kind of enjoyed. But yeah, it's I don't Disney's ever going to make another one. Speaking of plans and managing resources, Furiosa has pulled Max aside. And the whole point of her doing this is she needs to tell him that she's talked to the others. And they have decided that they are never going to have a better chance to make it across, quote, the salt, mm. unquote. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the salt is supposed to be, but I have a guess that it is what's left of the ocean, because at the end of Beyond Thunderdome, we saw that Sydney Harbor was completely drained and dried out. So I would like to think that there is a gigantic salt flat that just extends off into the outside world. Yeah, I I agree. I I bet you Max has been to the salt probably maybe two or three times in his life like you know he know he probably to test the boundaries to see where what's worth going to so i don't know the look he's giving her is it's kind of like a look like i don't want to say anything but you're probably going to die even if you go out there with all the resources like you there's nothing to be found out there but it's like he's just being quiet and kind of like just letting her talk it out right now because i don't think he has any better advice for her and her gang He's like, I don't know if I if I was in your shoes, I'd just, you know, everybody take a bike and just head off anyway. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's weird because I want, like, where would they head to if they were lucky enough maybe heading to Tasmania? Like, you're you're in Australia. You're yeah. basically in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not getting better <laughs> than where you are. Like, I, I know it's not good, but, and Max, you know, eventually will tell them the same thing. Like, as bad as this is... You know, he Max has been around and like, this is as good as it's going to get. Furiosa doesn't seem to me to be 100% on board with this idea of going out into the salt. To me, she seems still a little bit delicate after her emotional breakdown. Yeah, she's still adjusting because this was this was the destination or it turns out they passed it. Like, yeah, this is, you know, she had a plan and they actually executed it and she got where she was intending to go and gets there and it's, you know, isn't that the always the way? I mean, yeah, you get there and it's not what you were expecting. Not at all. So they just, what, what do you do? You, you keep on keeping on, I guess that's, that's the plan. And is, and that was, are they are like the others sleeping at this point? Cause at first I thought when she starts whispering, I think, Oh, this is like <laughs> some kind of secret deal or secret plot that she's putting, you know, she's, she's, bringing Max in on. And then she says, oh, I've talked with the others. It's like, well, if everyone knows, why are you whispering? Yeah, and three of them are standing right behind her. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the way I see is that, yeah, she probably put the young kids, put the young kids to bed, the war boy and the the girls Mm -hmm. to bed. 
and I guess yeah, she, she's she's she talked with the elder ladies, and I guess she's she's coming to him saying like, yeah. "This is our plan." But reading between the lines, I'm more than happy to accept other ideas right now. Yeah, mm. well, because I like. And, and we don't get it, but we can piece together from the way things have happened in other movies that someone heard something at some point. There was some whisper of a rumor of, yeah, across the salt, there's, you know, there, there's trees, there's green, there's Valhalla. There's this wonderful land waiting for us. If we there's can get Twinkie across factory the salt. In there, yeah. <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's a Twinkie factory. There's the Wonder Bread factory in uh, in New Brunswick. If you just if you can get across the salt, it just smells like baked bread all day. You know, we've seen other groups where they're they're heading off to some promised Wonderland. Well, not Wonderland, but some promised Eden across mm-hmm. the way. And you know, you don't know. Did someone just find a postcard from before the apocalypse? Is this a, a fairy tale that? A parent tells a child just to kind of keep them to put them to bed at night so they don't have nightmares. And then the child grows up and they believe it. They never realize that your your parents were just lying to your face because the, the truth of the situation was too horrible to, to face. Well, um, I'm glad you brought yeah. up the postcard because that's one of the things that we saw back in Road Warrior. They were going to the Sunshine Coast because they had the postcards, mm-hmm. the waiting ones left the crack in the earth because they had those little viewfinder slides. Right. They had a dream of something. The Vuvulini here just seemed to be meandering around the wasteland because they've lost the green place and they're just mm-hmm. trying whatever they can. Mm. Yeah. Taking yeah. shots in the dark. Everybody else was trying to get somewhere, somewhere better. And the Vuvulini left somewhere that was better once upon a time and is no longer so. Yeah. So, they, yeah, they don't have a destination. This is definitely one of those things where you go, Australia, like, you don't think Australia probably got too bad into the, 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 what caused the, apoc- the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. But you go, if the ocean around Australia doesn't exist anymore, like, it's not like there's no, is it, where's the other ocean to flow in? Like that's how much ocean must have be must be gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that there's like there's no like you know if you took like a billion gallons of ocean water off of the earth, well you know the levels of the ocean would rise, but they would balance out a little bit. But to be the fact that we're looking at a soft land, yeah, that kind of makes me think about the opposite of Waterworld. And what in Waterworld they're looking for what's left of dry land and yeah. they find it it's the top of everest, everest right yes so mm-hmm. the ice caps melted the seas rose to the point where there was just this one patch of land left so in this scenario the seas have evaporated and perhaps the deepest parts of the ocean still have water oh yeah the chasms and stuff the yeah Mar- what's it called Mar- mariana's Mar- Mar- trench. Mar- yeah. trench yeah, yep. yeah. So maybe there are places where relatively normal life is able to be led. Yeah, I still haven't gotten a satisfactory answer to my question from last season of where did the ocean go? (laughs) (laughs) I had some pretty harebrained schemes cooked up, but uh, yeah, no one has come forward to be like, oh yeah, Rick, this is the explanation. So the the nuclear war, the bombs um, like cracked, cracked a hole in the mantle. And the oceans just then spilled into the center of the earth. Can, I guess it could work. Why they were bombing the bottom of the ocean, I don't, I don't know. Think but that can work. That sounds you know. like a Lex Luthor style situation <laughs> yeah. where in order to create more 
real estate. He's going to bomb the crust of the earth and split it apart. Yeah. Okay, you're going to start with a circle of a certain circumference, and mm-hmm. in order to make more circumference, <laughs> you're going to crack that circle and try and spread it out. Yeah. Well, so maybe, <laughs> like, so maybe, like, this is not, I think we all assumed, or at least I assumed, that this was the result of war, mm-hmm. um, the apocalypse. Maybe what happened is, actually, to combat global warming, they were trying to push the Earth into an orbit further away from the sun, so it'd be a little bit cooler. Uh-huh. And it just they shifted it too fast, and all the water got blown away. The oceans just got blown <laughs> off as the as the Earth was moving to a different orbit. Well, if they're further away from the sun, it's probably colder. It explains Zoe Kravitz's appearance in most of this movie, as, as Julia I likes to keep pointing anything, out. <laughs> So I did some number crunching. I put on my people eater hat, although he doesn't really wear a hat. He wears nipple rings, but I'm not going to put those on just for a little bit of number crunching. Oh, come on. Sorry, Julia. Not today. There's no no dedication in this podcast. Yeah. That's the problem. (laughs) So freaking casual. Furiosa is talking about how if they leave the rig here and load the motorcycles with as much as they can carry, they can maybe ride for 160 days. And I said, oh, that's a frame of time. I wonder if I can calculate how far they can get. Just on hypotheticals. Yeah. So the U.S. Department of Energy has said that the most efficient speeds for vehicles are either 30 miles per hour, which for you metric folks are 48 kph and 55 miles per hour or 88 kph so assuming that the plan is to ride for 12 hours a day with eight hours for sleep and four hours for breaks their estimated range could be either 57 6,000 miles or 105 600 miles now people that know their geography will point out but rick the circumference of the Earth is only 24,901 miles. So if their plan is to take 160 days and ride in a straight line for 12 hours a day at 30 miles per hour, they will literally circumnavigate the globe twice before they hit that 160-day mark, which seems a little out of possibility, like physically impossible. <laughs> okay. Uh- <laughs> yeah. In many ways. How on earth are they taking enough supplies with them? Fuel. Thank you. That's what fuel I was thinking. Of like, what's, How do they yeah. have enough fuel for 160 days? Like, Forget miles per hour. What's their miles per gallon? How many gallons for, I guess some of them will double up, but maybe a, you know, a dozen bikes for 160 days? How much fuel is it going to take for them to drive that far? I'm glad you asked that, Sean. <laughs> the motorcycle that Furiosa is going to be seen riding in next week's minutes has an MPG rating of 42.6, meaning that its effective range on a full tank is 436 miles, which means that going by the low-end estimation, she would be using less than a full tank of gas per day. So if she's using one tank of gas per day, where are they storing all of those hundreds of gallons of gas that they would need to go that far at that speed? And when we see them, they do have a couple trailers... Mm-hmm. That they're dragging behind bikes, but at least one of them is carrying a person. Exactly. You know, so it's not just gear. Well, also there's there's food and water, some of which they'll find along the way. But like the desert here, there there would be long stretches where they would find neither, and so um, there must <laughs> must be just a car a supply caravan following them around. <laughs> okay, so I went on Google Maps, and it does this 
fun thing where you can right click on the map and say, okay, begin measuring. And then you can right click on somewhere else on the map and you can say measure to here. Mm -hmm. So I started off in Brisbane and I measured all the way to Ningaloo, which is pretty much the longest straight shot across Australia that you can get without having to go over water or anything like that. And that is only 2,490 miles. So it would only take a couple of days. Yeah, going all out for 12 hours a day? Absolutely. In fact, if you start dead center of Australia, which I'm just going to say is Alice Springs in Northern Territory, starting from that, it is only 2,656 miles as the crow flies to Singapore, Malaysia. So if they are going for mainland Asia to get as far away from Joe as possible, they could go, if they took 160 days to get there, all they'd have to do is just do 17 miles a day. And they would get from the center of Australia to mainland Asia in 160 days. So, Rick, (laughs) you're a motorcycle rider. Yep. Could you ride 12 hours a day? Physically. Physically? Well, in my current condition, no. But if I trained myself up, maybe. Well, and remember, at least one of them is pregnant. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I, I imagine that would impact... Um, how many hours a day you'd spend on the bike and there'd be at least some birthing time when they're not on the move. You have a pregnancy situation. You have, yeah, you have, yeah, you have the pulling, hauling things. I don't know how, yeah, the hauling of food, supplies, gas. I don't know how, that's got to slow you down. Um, and here's the thing, uh, these bikes, you can't run these bikes. I, I don't think, I don't think the, the elder ladies are running the bikes that long every day because mm-hmm. they know that there's only so many bike parts to, to fix these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The wear and tear on these, I can't imagine that they'd actually be running at 12 hours a day. Remember Rick way back in the first movie, we were talking about the bikers that they hired to be mm-hmm. part of the gang and how mm-hmm. something about they had to... No, it wasn't the bikers. Well, the bikes it were delivered the, to but, Sydney. Yeah, the bikes were delivered to Sydney, and they had to ride them down to Melbourne. Yeah, the actors who were playing the gang, they volunteered to ride the bikes <laughs> instead of I'm having sure them I'm sure they shipped. did. <laughs> so by the time they got down to Melbourne, they were thick as thieves. Yeah, mm-hmm. it took them way longer and i think we noted it when we were discussing it it took them way longer to get down there than measuring out miles per hour this much time of daylight yeah. adds in time for breaks it took them way longer than that because motorcycles are hard riding yeah but mm-hmm. even if you only went 100 miles a day which is a fraction of what these bikes can do you'd still get to mainland asia going as the crow flies and technically, you'd have to go over Indonesia to do it. But, you know, yes. Now, we're going so far out of the realm of possibility that, you know, whatever, that you don't even have to ride 12 hours a day to get 100 miles. And you would get there in under a month. Okay. I have a question that I'm going to Google. How far as the crow flies from Alice Springs, the center of Australia ish, mm-hmm. to the Marianas Trench? Where is, yeah, where is the Marianas Trench? It's in the Pacific. It's in the Pacific. Okay. Is that on Google Maps? Uh, no. Um, but we all agree they don't really know where they're going. They're just going because they know they can't stay where they are. They don't have a specific destination when she says we're heading across the salt. Yeah. Um, they rather, yeah, they rather die, start starving away from 
Joe and the War Boys is pretty much what she's telling him. Right. Like we're, I, yeah, maybe that's why that's why she's kind of talking quiet, and there's the the, the younger kids aren't around because she's like, I don't want them thinking too much about this because I think once they realize that. Like we already had, you know, the girls kind of fight fight amongst each other when they said, "No, we, you know, should we go back?" And oh, he'll accept us. And this, is, this is, no, 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 no. We've we've made our bed. We're we're leaving Joe. We're leaving the War Boys. We're leaving all this behind us. Yeah, and I do like this offer. You know, offering Max a bike that mm-hmm. you know she recognizes. If you if you strand this guy out here with no vehicle, that's pretty much death. Um, you know, to be out in the wasteland without a way to get around. And yeah. they, they've come together. You know, she's seen, you know, it, it's part of, you know, Max is becoming more sane uh, or less insane as he's around people more. He definitely loses it when he spends uh, too much time alone. Yeah. And I think she's recognizing that and, you know, kind of, all right, you know, you can come with us, but if not, we're not going to just leave you out in the middle of here, you know, with nothing. Max has a really good track record of being offered vehicles in exchange <laughs> mm-hmm. for services rendered. It happened in Road yeah. Warrior. It almost happened in Thunderdome, but he went back on his deal. Yeah. What Max has a lot of trouble with is what happens after mm-hmm. he's given that vehicle, as we saw <laughs> in Road Warrior. Yeah. Julia, did you find how long it was from Alice Springs to the Marianas Trench? Yes, it's about 3,000 miles. Okay. Totally oh, okay. possible. Yeah. If they had any inclination, any idea that there was water left on the earth, that there was ocean left on the earth, that's where they would find it. And yeah. it's only 3,000 miles away. No, Interesting yeah. note, the Marianas Trench has 3,500 reviews on Google Maps, and it has an average rating of 4.1. Well, yeah, because that's all they, where the underwater cities are. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of people yeah. that are saying, like, Wi-Fi was terrible, really hard to get to, too dark, no mm-hmm. air, mm-hmm. you know, yep. way too deep, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Some people are just looking for a reason to complain. Yeah. Where was, uh, no, I was going to say, I was going to ask about the abyss. I'm not going to bring up a James Cameron movie. <laughs> no, right no, we don't not, have that kind of time. We're not going there. And then, and so, and we know, we know Max. Mm-hmm. We know the way things go. When she says you're more than welcome to come with us, you know, to anyone else, this may seem like a good offer considering your alternative is being alone and crazy. But yeah. Max has gotten this offer before, and he tends not to take it. I think he likes being alone and crazy. Yeah. It's what he knows. I get the sense that Furiosa is telling him that he can come along because she has gotten a bit used to having him around. Yeah, I think she I think she wants him around because I think once he's sane, his uh, his logical mind starts ticking. Right. And she's like, I want to use that. He's uh, you know, he's smart. He's handy. He's good with a weapon. You know, you got someone to kill spiders. It's he's handy to have around. And we've noted before that they mesh (laughs) really, really well and not meaning in a romantic way. They just work really well together. Yeah. Yeah. Like the fact that like there's so little dialogue between them. And I do love that Mm -hmm. part earlier when she asked him like what his name is. He wasn't up for it yet. And she's like, fool. Fine. I'm going to call you fool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like when he when he first gets into the rig and Furiosa's driving and he's got the, the one gun on her and then he just starts peeling out all the weapons. And it's almost like, 
I know where I would stash a weapon. I know where I have stashed <laughs> yeah. weapons. I know like in, in the in the vehicle, in, in the cab of a vehicle, here's all the places where you can stash a weapon, but still get to it while you're driving. Yeah. And he just like he's like, yeah, just pulling out. Oh, you got this. This is under the seat. This is in the door. Um, you know, yes, it going to the point like they're they're both survivors and they kind of think alike. They're on the same wavelength. And yeah, she she appreciates that. They make a good team. Yeah, they don't have a romantic love. I think they have a love that is built on respect. Mm -hmm. And it's really blossoming over the course of this movie where at first they hate each other and then they get to respect each other. And then by the end of the movie, Furiosa's like, bring your stuff, move in. You know, (laughs) I'll move the cat tray so you can like keep your boots somewhere. You know, let's start a sitcom type of thing. Um, it doesn't yeah. quite work out, but you know, Max we'll get to that, that when kind we get of guy. To yeah. He's he, a loner, Dottie. <laughs> <laughs> I kept looking at the like, like second 59 here of minute 85. Just that look he gives her. There's a lot of like, I could get a lot of different emotions out of just that look. Mm-hmm. It's like soft eyes of like, I, I, I hate to see you die. Like that's going to, that could weigh on my conscience. Uh, yeah, I'm worried about you leaving, mm-hmm. and but I have no better ideas for you because my only other idea would be everyone take a bike and just go your own way. Like that's yeah. his only other idea would be. Uh, well, we all just split up and like you know he the, you know he doesn't care about riding in a, a group. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I like the change up uh, just w- with with ha- having Tom Hardy here instead of Mel Gibson. Uh, not that Mel Gibson couldn't do this. Obviously, he did Max for three movies and did it. A great job at it but we get a little bit of a different look mel would you know mel would have been good he wouldn't have played this scene the same way it just it would have been different maybe as good maybe not you know we'll, we'll never know but i like i like you know some of the um some of the bits that that tom's able to do i feel like mel's mel's version of max might not make eye contact with her during this moment he kind of mm-hmm. would probably be like kind of stomping his feet kind of kicking some sand like Trying to think of something to say, but he's like, he's got nothing. I feel like that. He like he, he wouldn't want to make much eye contact with her because he knows she's making a big emotional statement to him about, you know, like, we've gone long enough. Like, you want to go longer with me? Is right. Nope. Nope. I don't want to. Nope. I don't want to get involved. Nope. Yeah. It would never work between them because Max is into women that are just a bit shorter and have longer curly hair. <laughs> That's his type. And you want to play saxophone? Yeah. <laughs> well, when Mel Gibson's Max was in a very similar situation back in Thunderdome, mm-hmm. when Savannah wanted to leave and he knew that was a bad idea and wanted to keep her there because it's a safe place, his way of going about it was much more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I thought overly aggressive. I thought it was a bit out of character for Max, but. <laughs> Like when he punched her in the face yeah, after shooting at her. Yeah, when he shot at her and punched her in the punch, face. Yeah. But he didn't talk to her the way he does now mm-hmm. in Tom Hardy's rendition of Max. I like to think that that is an evolution of Max's character. He's like, okay, the last time that people were talking about doing something dumb, I shot at them and I punched them in the face and they left anyway. I could avoid the pain of punching Furiosa and then getting my ass handed to me by all of these warrior women. If I just say, maybe not. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also I think there's something to like breaking the man down to build him up. 
mm-hmm. that and, and you, you touched on this earlier in the show when you're talking about the, the voiceover in the beginning that it's actually, you know, Max speaking. He's giving us that that voiceover and it's a, you know, maybe not a kinder, gentler Max, but certainly a Max who is more self-reflective and more honest with his own feelings and, and his thoughts and, and kind of the the inner life. Of, of Max that he is not voicing in the other movies. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, on the one hand, his isolation in the wasteland has driven him insane. But on the other hand, he's really gotten in touch with himself. Like he really knows the insane Max. Yeah, he's really um, had a lot yeah. of time to spend inside of his own <laughs> head. And that is probably part of the problem. <laughs> yes. So it's the, the problem and the solution. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's making eye contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still he's yeah he's turning down the deal. Yeah, but we don't get to hear him say that in this minute. We're gonna have to wait until oh, right. Wednesday to hear about yeah. that. So here at the end of Monday, Sean and Dave, Sean, why don't you go first and tell our nice listeners where they can hear more of your stuff? Well, you can hear more of me when I mm-hmm. appeared on uh, Dave's podcast, Five Minutes of Mystery, covering the, the nineteen ninety nine Ben Stiller classic mystery man five minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. And you can find a link to that show if you go to my website at catandshawn.org. And that's C-A-T and Sean, S-E-A-N dot org. And there I have links to uh, my guest appearance on the Five Minutes of Mystery program. Also a link to uh, the minutes I did with Dave back during uh, the Thunderdome days of this podcast and, and all my other guest appearances. And I've got a few podcasts of my own, but all the links are on that site catandshawn.org and that's where you can find me and dave uh yeah i know i would i would love it if you were like a superhero ensembles uh something a little bit more uh fun and less apocalypse level uh <laughs> mystery men I, I do five minutes of mystery um actually and i'm gonna have and I, i'm working on getting ep- rick's episode so you, you get to hear rick soon uh talk about mystery men uh the only other thing i guess i'll plug right now is if you go to our uh, our hub page for the Movies by Minutes listeners and, and hosts uh, page, uh, I'm working on a trivia uh, tournament for... I'm going to stop you right there, Dave. Okay. This episode's coming out in October. You'll never... This all happened. <laughs> and it was great. This episode... Uh, this episode, okay. this, pot, uh, this fundraiser, it was great. Yeah. Uh, we raised money. We raised <laughs> this amount of money. A good amount of money. Well, then I guess that's <laughs> October. What happens in October? I don't have any plans. For- oh, Happy okay. Halloween. Oh, uh, uh, come to PAX Unplugged in, uh, in December uh, in Philly. Let's play some oh, yeah. Now. PAX Unplugged in December in there Philly. There you go. Anyway, the, uh, was covered. it December 6th? Yes, I believe it's, I think it's the uh, second, uh, second week in December. The, the week after Thanksgiving. The week after Thanksgiving. Perfect. Good. Yeah. Yeah, so PAX Unplugged, yeah, yeah, December 6th, 7th, and 8th in Philadelphia. Come on down. We'd love to see you. As for us, we will be coming back on Wednesday. Max will give his answer to Furiosa. She and the Buvalini will leave along with the wives, and Max will get a visitor. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com.
Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for madmaxminute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 85 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.